Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. Uh, this week I'm your host David Gibney and I'm joined by my co-host Michelle Byrne. We're also joined by two guests. We have um, Connor McCabe, uh, author and researcher, but also, um, and we're delighted to have her this week, we have candidate in the Dublin Bay South uh, by-election, Bridget Porcel from uh, People Before Profit. We normally go to the front pages of the papers uh, and, and talk about some of those stories first, but because we have a, a by-election coming up and a candidate on, we think we might just go straight to Bridget. Um, how are things holding up, Bridget? Just tell us a little bit about the candidacy and what's happening in your campaign for the, the Dublin Bay South by-election. How's it going? Thank you, for, thank you so much for having me on. Um, so uh, I am People Before Profits candidate for Dublin Bay South. Um, it's a it's a it's a pretty intense by election for me anyway. I don't know I don't know how any anybody else feels about it, but I'm extremely like this is the biggest by election of all time, and it's because I'm running in it. Um, so I'm running on a campaign of um of housing like you know housing stuff, uh, workers' rights and environmental issues. Um, and now I guess my kind of campaign has in recent days it's kind of turned towards um access to public spaces with the uh with the um the fencing off of the portobello plaza um and i guess the the scenes that we're seeing now with the uh with south william street and stevens green and some of the scenes from last night um it's it's kind of become very you know it's it's now that we're being encouraged to have like an outdoor summer it's become quite obvious to me that um the government hasn't really prepared for what an outdoor summer means and a lot of that i believe is down to um just the management of public spaces in ireland um and especially in dublin city uh you know um it, it, it it's, a, it's an interesting one because obviously listeners will have heard or seen all of the videos on Twitter over the last yeah. 48 hours, uh, as we saw Gardaí baton charging teenagers who were running away from them. Um, but I've seen a lot of um, uh, what people are describing as antisocial behaviour as well, fights between um, different, I don't know what you call them, gangs. People are referring to them as gangs. But look, when I was that age, I wasn't in a gang, but I was in those yeah. type of fights as well. So... Um, that's not to justify it or anything but you know and I'll, I'll throw this to you to ask you the question about it but you know the closing off of of portobello square the the closing off uh, you know of stevens green surely the Gardaí and everybody else can make the connection between you close off public spaces and you're you're actually pushing people into tighter constraints and it's going to create tensions and stuff like i don't know what your observations have been on that over the last 48 hours well, uh, yeah, uh, you'd think that uh, you'd think that they would connect the dots with that one, but uh, apparently they haven't. Um, obviously, if you are pushing people from, if you're if you're cutting off access to a public space and you're push, you you end up pushing people towards, um, to in in closer and closer uh, areas where the there's they're able to congregate. Um, I think a big problem with what was happening with. Portobello Plaza or Square or Harbour had a, a lot of people coming at me for calling it the Plaza, but that's what they called it on the papers. Um, <laughs> the the like the Grafton Street quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to rebrand everything. Oh, it's a nightmare. Um, but the uh, the reason why there's a a lot of congregation around that area 
in my opinion, is that um, parks close at, you know, around 8 p.m. So my local park closes at 10, so that's nice. But, um, you know, if you were to, if you, if you do want to socialize and it gets later and later, like, Portobello, Portobello Square was kind of your only option for a lot of people. Um, and as a result, a lot of people end up congregating there. Um, now, the council's, the council's solution to that was to <laughs> gate it off um, with these ugly construction gates. Um, but um, obviously, we don't see that as a solution. We think that that is a bad idea. Um, and that the real solution is providing bins, toilets, and more public spaces. So you know, uh, pedestrianizing Dame Street, like they've been, you know, expediting that pedestrian, expediting that pedestrianization. Well, that's a lot of syllables there. Um, or keeping parks open later, or, you know, more, more, you know, imaginative thinking rather than just like close it off. Because as a result, we're seeing people, like you were saying, um, People just gathering in South William Street because Portobello Square is cut off. It also has just pushed the problem on either side of the canal. So it hasn't really, it hasn't really done much, you know. Uh, it just means that people don't have access to that one particular square, but people are still congregating on the canal on either side of the square. So I, in my, in my, from what I've observed, it seems to be that uh, you'll have guards kind of patrolling the area and just being like, listen, you can drink, just you can't do it here. Um, which you know again it's just <laughs> it's 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 quite now in fairness in fairness to the guards like in fairness to the guards i if i was a guard i too would be there like listen lads i just don't want this problem can you just just do it out of my eye shot and like that's grand but which is kind of what they'd be doing and now we're seeing that kind of catch up with them because people are congregating in bigger and bigger numbers and and now they're getting bat now people are getting bat and charged and it's fairly wild it's fairly wild they've seen the, the guards from what i've been told have been escalating a small bit you know actually touching people taking stuff out of their bags and stuff like that i have uh i, I was told by one person that the guards like kicked them to get out of the way which you know to get them to start moving which is not appropriate uh that is absolutely disproportionate if you're just trying to get somebody to move and you want them to hurry up you don't kick them and i don't know why they think that they should be they have the powers to do that that's not appropriate that's uh uh anyway so that's, it, that, that's, that's, that's the other element of it and and i'll get one of the other guys to come in now in a second but there's a, so there's actually the congregating the public space and stuff but then it becomes about the guard a reaction mm. or provocation as I've seen in some of the videos that I've mm -hmm. been looking at. I actually wanted to ask Connor about this because myself and yourself have been around a little bit longer than the other two there uh, who are quite young. Like, I've noticed in the last 12 months, obviously we've seen because of the pandemic, the escalation of the, the guard of powers, the increased powers. Um, I know in Occupied, they, we saw aggressive guardie. We didn't actually see it as much in the water campaign, the water protests. Um, there was never really any... They, they, there was a couple of incidents, but nothing to, to the extent of what we've seen. And when I know, Bridget, you were on the Debenhams picket line a, a, a fair few times. But when we were the night we were there, when the, on Henry Street and the Gardaí came, the guards said directly to my face, 
we're, we don't want to be here. We're here on the orders of the very top. Now, they didn't say a name, but we know who's on the very top. He said, but it goes right to the very top. We don't want to be here, but we have to because. So, Connor, I'll ask you, and we'll come back to Bridget on this, but have you noticed anything or is there anything you'd suspect about an escalation in or a change, let's say, in the attitude of the Gardaí? Or have they always been like this? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, there's a subtext there in like Hugh Harris, <laughs> isn't there really? You know, yeah. has, has he brought his like RUC ways with him? But, um, but, uh, but really, uh, like what kind of concerned me is that um, like the front page of the, um, of the Sindel today, you know, um, it's basically it's the guards beating up some bloke. And, I, and there's a real case of look what you've made me do about all of this, you know. You've made me violent, you know. You, you know, you young people have 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 made us violent. It's a hard. Thing. It's it's an awful. I'd, I'd be very concerned about any police force whose first response to any kind of social, civic kind of interaction is violence. Like I, I think because we have this kind of, you know, background kind of white noise of extreme of just how right wing Ireland is. We forget how right wing it is. This is not normal kind of behavior to to tool up in full riot gear, which meant that they left the guard stations in full riot gear. They didn't you don't have that in your back pocket. You showed up in full riot gear and you attacked people. Um like that's that's not normal behavior. Shouldn't be anyway. And it shouldn't be normalized at all in like any way. But it is, you know, and then it gets into, you know, you have kind of Stephen Donnelly talking about thugs. Well, half are being thugs. All right. He, he just got the, the, the kind of wrong half. Like, like, like you to kind of it, it, it just maybe to kind of bottle this argument or this kind of whole thing. It goes back to what kind of Bridget you know, was talking about is that like this city is not for the citizens. Dublin is not for the citizens. It's for capital. And uh, that's its role. And its role is for is for speculative capital. And they're using the, 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 the guards to to protect the interests of a particular type of speculative capital, which is one which the unelected executive of the city completely chime with. Uh, that's the problem. That's the real problem. And we have kind of talked about this there before, but I like like really when we step back, it is incredible that we're dealing with um not even a 19th century Victorian power structure in terms of like local government, but more like a kind of Zara's Duma um <laughs> In a situation where the executive is not elected in any way kind of whatsoever and is not accountable to people in, in government. That's not a democratic. So that's the real kind of problem here. Um, even when like uh, Kieran Cuff came out with this, like, oh, we have this unelected executive and it's really terrible. And his plan, because he is such a right wing fucker was to have a czar. He actually used the word czar, which I just thought was great because it actually ties into the doom or kind of a narrative, you know, and that's, that's the real problem here is that we have guards who are being trained to protect capital with violence against young people who are doing nothing wrong. Um, the scenes of the fights, there was a great tweet there 
from someone uh, who worked for years in the Temple Bar. And she tweeted saying, this is every weekend in like in, 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 in like Temple Bar here. Like, I mean, this is like, if the problem is violence, then it's violence. But don't be linking this with somehow it's, it's like young people going mad. It's not. We have this violent drink street uh, culture in Temple Bar. It's marketed that way. It's actually marketed as a crack den for alcohols, you know? I mean, you know, you know, that's its whole kind of marketing kind of strategy. So if you've got that kind of set up, um, like I actually think just another way of, of seeing this is that we like we should actually turn this into a weekly kind of event and like sell tickets. I mean, if the guards are, are, are going to bat and charge people on like St. William Street, set a time and date. I would sell tickets have a, you know, as a big kind of festival, 7 p.m., guards kind of set up and you start kind of batting charging people. I mean, like, like, <laughs> like. I know you're being facetious, right? And I know you're taking the piss, but there's a danger that somebody might listen to this in the capitalist system that is Ireland and go, he's got a point. It goes back to, it's not just about, and again, it goes back to how capital works in Ireland, which is a different beast to how it works in other states. And we saw this with the G7 where you have other capitalist states saying raise corporation tax, but Ireland is the one that's holding out here. There's something very particular, very particular about Irish capitalism. And, and we see this in one kind of small strand in the protection of speculative uh, uh, by capital and its interest in the city as a space of like speculation, not of, um, you know, not for citizens, but for capital. Michelle, you want in on this? Yeah, I know you were joking there, Connor, about the, the festival thing, but actually in the Sunday Times, the, um, there is actually um, a quote here from the chief executive of the Temple Bar Company, who, who basically says, yeah, it's turning into electric picnic on the streets. But then he says, I don't understand from a government perspective um, as to why this is being allowed, as there's no zero economic benefit to this. So why would you allow people out on the street? Sell tickets. Sell the baton charge sale tickets. <laughs> There's no economic benefit to, to the government. Oh, it's just bizarre. And like it goes, I kind of something that uh, Bridget said there as well kind of struck me too around, you know, the guards not just like, I oh, move along. Like we, we don't, we, we, if you can't see it, it's not happening. But like, there's only so many places you can move people along. But also a lot of these people are living, as you say, in this market where they've already been forced into small apartments with no living spaces as it is. So where exactly are we being forced back into? Like we can't even... Like there isn't even spaces in back gardens. There isn't even spaces in that they are actually renting in that kind of that private market for them to do that. It's just it's just bizarre. And like the whole policing thing as well. Like um like we've seen such a ripple and like, like of heightened public order policing. Um and it's something that I, like obviously I've been on the pickets as well. I've seen some of it, but I've seen very different. Uh, and I know you're kind of you were reflecting on protests that you were involved in, but I've been involved in quite a few different protests and in organizing classes and some of them um, over the pandemic as well. And I have seen very different responses to policing based on the topic of the protest. So for example, um, Black Lives Matter, um, huge amounts of threats were made in the lead up to that by the guards uh, to organizers. Um, that was quite intimidating actually that, that particular experiences, which ended up resulting in them saying that the, if the organizers participated that there was going to be serious ram ramifications for the organizers who were going to be offering stewards social distancing uh crowd control if, uh, as much as possible 
but instead by removing the organizers they were making it much more unsafe much more completely no organ no stewards or whatever but yet when we organized um a protest for the mother and baby homes to recognize that that the guards didn't even blink an eye they didn't even turn up they didn't even contact us in advance they didn't they hadn't they didn't care because that was seen as an acceptable perhaps maybe middle class women um protesting about um you know what they, what was seen as oh that's more acceptable for you to be protesting on that but young people who are protesting and a lot of black young people who are protesting black black lives matter no that's not acceptable and like this is the same thing again um you know people going out young people going out to enjoy public spaces no that's not acceptable but if you paid for a ticket to be on that street to have an outdoor festival that would be acceptable and we're seeing this kind of political policing where they're determining what is acceptable and what isn't and like there is kind of um there's issues here because there's public order kind of like the the public order policies there's no um there's lots of gaps in this this has been recognized by the garden inspectorate there there isn't a lot of transparency around the, the kind of the strategies the risk assessments the actual approach in public order policing so even though we can recognize that the approach of public order policing at the moment is going in the wrong direction we can't actually tie it back to a policy that they have written that's available to the public to say well actually you're going against this policy because they refuse to have that in the domain and in fact we're not even sure they entirely have these strategies and if it's not just a trial and error and see how it goes until things obviously escalate to what we're seeing now in Dublin streets. Connor I know you went in and I'll come back to Bridget in a second but just your your whole idea of selling tickets reminded me of that Simpsons episode of whacking a snake do you remember that one where they were running around yeah, so they, they're treating us like snakes in The Simpsons. Go on, Connor. Yeah, well, just kind of one small point. I mean, like, you know, if there is something coming from kind of guard management, like um, a baron charge is good for morale. Um, you know, so like there's an element here where, you know, if you're managing guards who are under kind of pressure, there's a new anti-corruption unit that, that's been kind of set up, uh, pay is crap. Um, let them crack some heads. It's just good for morale, you know. Bridget, you wanted to back in? Yeah, I just um now I I mean I'm I'm quite worried at the fact that uh, restrictions are you know lifting, but the powers that were given to the guards don't seem to have any date on when they're going to be you know reeled in. Um, and I do think that's down to uh, the fact that we're going to be seeing a lot of protests. We're going to be seeing a lot of protests. You know, um, there's a lot of anger out there regarding housing, regarding this this kind of this attitude that uh, the government has towards young people and, you know, the idea that Dublin isn't for living, it's for, like like you were saying, capital. And I'm extremely concerned at the fact that the, the, the powers that the guards have been given have been rolled back or haven't been rolled back. Also, I would, I, I'm, I'm fascinated about the, uh, the culture that seems to be going on in, in the guard stations because I, you know, when we saw, we saw the far right marches, you know, earlier in the year in, in September, uh, or I don't, I don't know. I don't even remember when it, the pandemic has been such a time sink. I don't remember when I, I had to, I had to, I had to confirm it, but when Izzy, Izzy Kamikaze was attacked by, with the, by the fascists with the two by four, that was during the, that was during the pandemic. I thought it was three years ago. Wild. Um, but like there was no repercussions for that and that is actual violence you know the people people getting into scraps in town like i also worked in temple bar like you you just kind of have to walk around it because it happens every weekend you know it's not a 
it's just people having scraps like and it is it, it is it good no it's antisocial but you know it's kind of just an inevitability of having people drinking alcohol and it's not any different to how it was before the pandemic but but far right people far far right fascists attacking attacking somebody with a two by four and then the guards turning around and being like there's nothing we can do about it we didn't see anything well her face is pumping with blood and they just turn around to do nothing about it and they did nothing about the anti-mask stuff they did nothing about the far right marches but black lives matter they'll 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 line the streets and have the horse cops out and they'll have a helicopter going over and um and uh the debenhams the debenham i was there on that night as well the debenhams picket they'll they'll threaten you with threaten you with um fines and arresting arresting people for standing on the traffic islands mm-hmm. like daryl barney and john dean got arrested for standing in the wrong place not doing anything but just standing in the wrong place thrown into store street um you know, and 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 with the with the the Palestinian um with the Palestinian protests, the the threatening threatening the the I, IPs, IPSC, yeah, threatening the IPSC, so they couldn't, you know, organize anymore, and it had to be people before profit stepping in to do the organization. Like, I think, I think, yeah. Oh, sorry, what were you saying? No, no, go ahead, finish my. Oh, I'm 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 just saying, like like. The, I I wonder what culture is going on in the in the guard in in the guard stations because they seem to be very a okay easy breezy with one type of protest like you were saying, and and it seems that an awful lot of the time that that one type of protest comes from a certain group of people with a certain ideology and I, not the others. I have a real kind of like like obviously we're talking about public order policing, but I have a real and that culture, but like. The fact that they've now been given more emergency powers to kind of like do more policing, I wonder how that's going to be ingrained in the, the policing culture going forward when those emergency powers are, are lifted and the effects that they're having now and how they're actually engaging with people. Like I know you mentioned there, Bridget, a, a guy called Daryl Horn who was arrested um, at the, the Devon's picket. He was strip searched, but he was arrested under the COVID guidelines or COVID emergency powers. So why would a man need to be strip searched um, after being arrested for chanting at a pro a peaceful protest, you know, um, and the other point as well that maybe to touch on is like when we were down at the Devon picket to pick it in Waterford, and obviously the Dublin one as well. But like the when the minute the public order police come in, the riot the riot police come in, immediately the scenes become heightened. Yet these are peaceful protests where people are sit down, and there's no need for that kind of like level of agitation like as I, I described here before on the podcast like literally marching in two by two to lift people up by their arms and legs where they who were literally like women close to retirement sitting on the ground like some lads in their 70s being carried out like it's just bizarre that they felt like they were the ones who create in the heightened um culture and we're seeing it now in the streets as well the minute the guards are going in with baton charges and riot gear and shields see these are the pictures i'm seeing from last night and the night before in dublin they're the ones that are they're heightening that response and heightening the reactions and you're seeing uh, videos of young people running away and being hit with the batons as they're running from the guards like with their back turns like there's something wrong with that but um take i know we've been t- talking about this quite a bit but it, it is actually a front story um on the sunday times this weekend um and I, I think it was really interesting because there's a number of different comments from um political representatives um but stephen donnelly was actually asked about it and he mentions nothing about health so the minister for health when asked about a so-called health response from the police 
um, had nothing to say about the actual health aspect of this. He just said uh, that he thanked the guards for the actions against the thuggish behaviour and said that the group of behave the, the behaviour of the group of drinkers was unacceptable. He couldn't even link the fact that his role might he might need to mention something about health to even maybe pretend that this was actually a health response. Like I was in Dublin. Um, I sat last Saturday and I just walked through the crowds that were sitting down in like St. William Street and stuff. Um, and it, it was really nice. Everyone was chilling out in the sun. It, it was good spirits. There were people were in their, their groups and stuff like that. But we've been told over and over again that it's, I, be, um, socializing outdoors is the, the safest thing you can do. So if you're not doing it there, you're pushing people into, into houses, into house parties um, when the pubs aren't open or when there's other spaces that you can't use. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's bizarre to me that even even now Stephen Donnelly isn't pretending that this is a health issue. This is simply like, move on. You're not spending money. Get out. We don't want you. Just on that, because there's two things and, and the Echo Chamber lads, uh, the Tortoise Shack did a podcast on Friday night that, that I think is probably available now on the right to protest. And firstly, outdoors drinking, outdoors socialising has caused no spread whatsoever. And that's what the guards and why Stephen Donnelly are probably saying nothing about the public health element of it. Even the big, Black Lives Matter, massive protests in the United States didn't end up being super spreaders as was being warned and all the rest of it, right? No, I'm not advocate. I, I don't know either way, you know, what the, the health impacts of that are, but, but one of the points that was made, made was by the solicitor that was on um, was that, uh, that if you were, you know, prosecuted for the health element of it and you went to court, your defense would be that there's no health evidence to show that this was a super spreader event. We weren't risking the spread of it. Anyway, but the second thing is, and two of you, Bridget and Michelle, have both raised it about the um, the powers, the emergency powers, and you know when we get rid of them or whatever. And Paul Murphy made a really good point that there's a very strong possibility that these powers will not be relinquished um, because the Patriot Act is still there and the Special Criminal Court is still there. 50 years next year, they were talking about a Special Criminal Court. They bring in emergency powers. Almost all of the oppressive anti-protest legislation that you get in any country, anywhere in the world, comes in as emergency powers and then they're just not released so or never, never relinquished. So it's just something that us lefties, us protesters, need to be very conscious of um, that we're going to have to have. Like, they're already, there's an urgency around reducing the PUP. There's no urgency around getting rid of the other emergency measures. And I, going back to the very start of this debate about, you know, who public spaces and capitalism in Ireland, you know, here we are, capital will we'll, we'll take away your 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 social welfare, but we're not going to get rid of the policing powers. Michelle, you wanted in before we yeah, move on? Th there's no urgency, but yet um, they're also ignoring the calls from the ICCL to actually have a human rights review of the legislation before it goes forward, before it was put back in. And they've been calling for that for months when they knew that the, the success clause was coming up for review. And they decided to ignore that, even though that, that's the proper process to go through. So not only are they just willingly not uh rushing to to remove these powers they're also ignoring proper procedure for actually implementing these powers in the first place yeah look i'm gonna go back to you bridget just to talk very quickly before we move on to the front page it's just about the the rest of the the the, the um the campaigns that you're running on housing and workers rights and the environment is there anything you want to like speak about specifically ahead of the election or um uh, open to you? sure sure um Obviously, obviously, housing is kind of the housing is the uh, the the big one at the moment. It's the it's kind of like the national issue. Um, you know, um, 
I think it's going to be, you know, it's it is going to be a referendum on housing. Uh, this this by election, and it's it's going to be interesting seeing the other candidates, you know, especially with the likes of, you know, <laughs> James Gagan, uh, saying that he's a member of the lockdown generation when this house costs seven hundred thirty thousand euro. <laughs> Um, or or dear to Conroy saying that she can she can protect renters when it's a lot of it's a lot of saying that you can protect renters and it turns out that they're landlords who have you know actually abused renters and you're like I don't think I want to trust you though um, if like I I I I I'm a renter I I I'm 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 lucky I've I've made a good position with the place that I rent but um I've had friends who've Jesus, I've had friends who, uh, I don't know if you remember that story about the Pines um, up in, in Dunleary. It was the house that was, uh, it was a big massive mansion that had uh, 70 people living in it and people were having uh, shifts um, for like sleeping in the bed, you know, so at, you know, at eight, you know, you got an eight hour shift instead of, I, I've had friends who were living in properties owned by that, not that property, but a different property called Nirvana, oddly enough. <laughs> in uh in Dunleary that uh that was also owned by that um that that gentleman um and you know the the kind of they they every woman in the house got a UTI because of the damp um you know and just living with you know it like <laughs> it's it's um to think that um like I stand by people before profits um policies on housing I think we have the fairest we have the we have the fairest policies we have um the, the policies that make the most sense um, and we have policies that actually look after renters I would be extremely concerned if the likes of Deirdre Conroy got got this and was in the doll because it means that there would be another landlord in the doll and we've seen what a, an influx of landlords in the doll has done it means that the RTB is absolutely toothless and will not and cannot like protect cannot protect um, tenants effectively it's extremely concerning um, and it, it seems like a lot of people, it seems like a lot of a lot of TDs at the moment are just completely out of touch when it comes to the issues of renters. Like if you it like like saying saying stuff like, you know, there are some properties out there that are so badly managed that um that people are paying, you know, five hundred euro to get a UTI for three months uh because the house is so horrific with damp. A lot of people would find that extremely shocking. It's not shocking to me. I I know six people who had to live there uh because they had no other choice uh that was the only property available um within their you know price range uh and uh you know there's or or like people talking about like landlords just letting themselves in at six in the morning because you know they could or and and the and because the the tenants don't have you know because the it's not a registered property because the landlord didn't register it the tenants have no recourse with the rtv it's um Jesus. that's yeah it's you know and the rtv will be like maybe get onto threshold and you're like so you're just so you the governing you the the the, the kind of board that is supposed to look after tenants rights are are saying that you, you can't do anything about this landlord letting himself in into somebody's house at 6 a.m and just kind of you know hanging around going through people's stuff and it was only caught out because somebody woke up to go for a run and saw the saw that the landlord was there and was like you never told us you were coming around. He's like, I don't have to. Um, it's my property, you know? Um, and then they tell the RTB and the RTB says, maybe contact Threshold. You know, that's a charity. Uh, you're the RTB. You should be able to, 
but the rtb isn't designed to help tenants it's it's you know i don't know if anybody else has seen that ad that's like rent arrears is hard for both you and your landlord you know it makes you want to just oh no i didn't realize that uh rent arrears is going to horrifically affect my landlord oh no i really should be more considerate of his feelings anyway so that's a big one also another big one for me is um dublin bay the the pollution that's going on in it we've been campaigning on that for months um it's nice to see that it look it's with along with a lot of stuff that people before profit does uh it's nice to see um other parties starting to uh be like yes that was our idea actually you see it with the fina fall saying that they brought in the right to housing um in the doll and you're like okay all right but they uh, other 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 um other uh parties are seeming to take on the the pollution in uh dublin bay it's a massive it's a massive problem it's a huge problem um you know 74 um 74 olympic swimming pools of human waste are pumped into dublin bay and it's making people sick and it's it's it, it, you know rings end water treatment plant is entirely mismanaged uh by irish water and it's just it's nice that other other um it's nice that other parties are finally kind of saying that we should do something about it but like we're still not doing anything about it Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Ringsend Water Plant not run by Irish Water? But it is, out, yeah. It's outsourced, isn't it? Irish Water pay another company to look oh, after it. Oh, pro- yeah, them. probably. <laughs> and that company hired another company to look after it for them. And yep. that company, last two years ago, sacked all its workers without any redundancies. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I love this Irish capitalism stuff where we hand over. Irish Water is supposed to look after one company and then they delegate it to someone else and they go, do you know what? We can make a few quid out of this by yeah. just being the middleman. It's it's hilarious. A mate of mine, that's how I know about it, is a mate of mine used to work for the company. He was let go with no redundancy. So, um, right, I'm going to go on and move to the papers and I'll come back to you, Bridget, in a couple of seconds. But uh, Michelle, I don't know if you've spotted anything there that, that, that you wanted to talk about straight off. Yeah, well, I was reading the Sunday Times and on, on the front, obviously, there, there's a big image of the, the guards at the Battens and we've chatted about that quite a bit. But there's also two other stories that are probably worth mentioning. Um, the British government committed in principle to Irish Sea Bridge. So there's a piece here about um, talking about a tunnel or a bridge across the Irish Sea. And um, yeah, and that they're, they're committed to doing that and to make it easier for us to access the UK market. So we can, so it's another piece of capitalist infrastructure for us to make sure that the markets are flowing and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, that, then it kind of goes into a couple of other things that are happening in the North as well. Obviously there's discussions around Edwin Poots at the moment um, and, and how he's not uh, going to be taking on the role of first minister and the ramifications of that. Well, he won't get access to state meetings just because he's the leader. You actually have to be the, the member of state or the prime minister for, for that that specific uh the, some of the kind of um the access that you would be allowed and not like so he they're kind of saying well if you're continue to be the minister for agriculture that doesn't mean that you, because you're the leader of the DUP doesn't mean that you're going to get access um into other spaces um so yeah then apparently there was meetings as well um in Stormont that were heated and bad tempered um between disagreements on Sinn Féin's demand for the Irish Language Act this is continuing um, and then there was mentions as well how Brandon Lewis has said that he's committed to abortion clinics to open in Northern Ireland um, after the DP have failed to do that for the last two years. So that that's I suppose that's good news. Um, obviously there's been a stall on that since the um, the rules have changed two years ago. Um, abortion clinics still aren't open in the north, which is disgraceful, seen as 
uh, the rest of the UK have been able to have access to that kind of healthcare for a very long time. Ireland um, in, in the south and the other counties have now got some access, not full access, and that's obviously a conversation for another day around the repeal review and how that's, how that's going and the gaps, um, the people are falling, still falling through the, the cracks with that legislation. But there's another piece as well, and I'm sure Connor will have loads to say about this. Um, Donoghue will defy the G7 on raising business tax to 15%. So essentially there was a meeting of a number of the, the big uh, countries um, and they were talking about corporation tax. And obviously Ireland is very famously known as a tax haven. We have a low uh, corporate tax of 12.5%. Um, and Pascal Donoghue has come out fighting because for absolutely no one is calling for him to come out fighting against this tax really, except obviously the people who benefited like Google and Facebook. But he's come out fighting and says he, him and all the other smaller countries that are going to be disproportionately affected by being tax havens, um, he's going to stand up against this and try and uh, try and get around it. Um, but yeah, basically, then he goes on to say, um, yeah, uh, that the government is well capable of continuing with the right policies to deliver our competitiveness. And I was like, right, the right policies for who? <laughs> like you're, you're, you're basically saying, yeah, I'm happy to stand over this government where we continue to facilitate uh, tax dodging and being a tax haven. And like, uh, uh, like, I don't see what the benefits to us are in that. Like they, you know, they claim like, oh, it brings jobs into the country and all of that. But there are elements where that, that's not the case. You bring far, far more into taxes if they actually tax them as well. Um, but yeah, there, there's a piece on that as well. So I suppose I, I might leave that open because I'm sure other people have to, to comment on that. But that's the front page of the Sunday Times anyway today. All right, I'm going to go straight to Connor on the, this stuff. Go ahead, Connor. Let us know uh, what, what's Owen Murphy up to. Oh, not Owen Murphy. What am I saying? <laughs> what's Pascal Donoghue up to? Yeah, I mean, um, like, it's what I have noticed, and I've been talking and researching about Ireland and, and tax for, I think it's now 15 years now. And, um, like, I've done walking tours of the IFSC. I've brought Al Jazeera around, <laughs> you know, but I've done all these things. I've noticed a change in the last couple of years in, in, in people's attitudes. Um, I think people are a lot more critical of the narrative now about tax. And I think that's a good thing um, because it's there's a lot of myths about it. It, 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 it was like when I back in back in 2007, when I tell people that home ownership in Ireland had been dropping since since like 1991, they just they just say I was nuts, you know, um, and that happened with the corporation tax as well. That's saying that this isn't actually what keeps Ireland going. It keeps a certain tax avoidance system that is built up all around it going. And that's a different beast there can all together. So like it's, it's hard to debate this issue publicly because you have to deconstruct a lot of the narratives and myths that are out there and the myths that are held by the left as well, which is a real problem because um, a significant part of the left's analysis in Ireland comes from right-wing economic historians. We got a taste of what they're like with Mary Daly, who's an economic historian. Um, like she writes, she's written economic histories of Ireland. Who the hell would use any of them? You know, I mean, like the, the ideology just drips from them. Like, I mean, like just tying in to, uh, to kind of Michelle's point there, uh, uh, like around kind of um, abortion and also kind of, you know, you know Bridget on, um, on the mother and baby homes. Uh, 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 that, 
like that I know that Bridget wants to talk about. Um, like 90% of GPs in Ireland are still refusing to, to provide abortion services. It's, it's only kind of one in 10 are actually doing it. There's a whole class in Ireland and it, like they actually fascinate me. That's what I've really kind of studied for, for about 15 years now. It's my own kind of anthropological study of this class. And they're, and they're, they're horrible, horrible people, but I actually find them fascinating as well. And there are links between Owen Keegan, uh, Mary Daly, Connor Skeen, those GPs, and how they see Ireland and how they see what Ireland is for. And then how, how all the rest of us see what Ireland could be. And there's a real kind of difference there. So with kind of corporation tax, there's an entire cottage industry. Well, sorry, it's more than that now. There's an entire industry that is built around a facilitating tax avoidance by using Ireland's tax code for that. There are two elements to it. One is the, there's the industrial corporation tax on the sector, and that's your, uh, that's the Google down in, in, you know, in, in Dublin, it's Dell, it's all of these. There's around 92,000 jobs in that, which is about 5% of the workforce. So what's the other, what's the other 95% doing? We're not living off their wages. The idea of what keeps Ireland going is so skewered, is so unbalanced as to the, as to the actual kind of reality of it. And the largest single sector in terms of employment in Ireland is retail outside of the public sector. That's what keeps Ireland going. It's retail jobs, it's public sector jobs. These are the jobs that actually keep on communities living and they're low paid jobs and people are, are struggling there in them. And these bastards can come along and then say that, oh, it's corporation tax that's keeping everything going. No, it's keeping you going. It's keeping the law firms like Madison, who last year helped uh, like Microsoft avoid tax on a single year profit of, of, of $315 billion. Like, I can't get my head around that figure, you know? Like, not even Dr. Evil would even ask for $300 and $15 billion, even that would be too much for him, like, and he's fucking Dr. Evil, you know? So it's just, it's so crazy what, what goes on here and how can a corporation tax, the only, the, of all the things that are called sacrosanct in Ireland, the only thing I've ever used, like, I, I've never heard any government minister call housing sacrosanct or call uh, human rights sacrosanct. I've heard government ministers say air corporation tax rate is sacrosanct. Objectively, that is fucked up. Like, that is just crazy, right? So we have this kind of mentality, and that's what Pascal is, is, is protecting. And then it goes back to a, my nominal bugbear, is how we have to understand the particular beast that is Irish capitalism. And it is a different beast to British capitalism, to... Uh, French capitalism to how it works in like Brazil, it's different. And that's historical. I mean, I, I, and we need to, to, to see it in those terms. We can take how capitalism works in, in Manchester and slap it onto Ireland, onto Dublin, and pretend it's the same thing. We, we got a glimpse of that there with the G7, where the, the, the G7 is saying, 
we're looking at social fact we're looking at social fracture here lads Jeremy's looking at the rise of the ADL they're looking at these things and saying we need to raise taxes in order to invest in in public services or we'll have fascism all over again and we have fascism now but but you know but the real kind of not your kind of coke light fucking fascism it's the real deal stuff you know 1930 stuff no messing about lads you know so and, and, and what's ireland doing ireland saying no to all of this what's so weird about irish capitalism that that's what they're doing and to finish off this rant is that like there was an article in i think it was in it was in one of the papers there country on the week around the cost of crashes is going up did you see that no. so of course that's wrong but when you digged into it one of the reasons two of the reasons that are being given is that crashes are being hit with rent increases and with insurance costs so that even if even if that plan which 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 the which the trade union movement has has which i agree with where you turn kind of crash workers into a kind of a national school system where they're employed there by the state. Even if that happened, they would still be hit with the, you know, with the non uh, non discretionary uh, charges, you know, you know, such as rent and insurance. There's no point going to a crash and saying, yes, because of our way that we kind of do business here, we we hired out, we have outsourced rents to like foreign capital and insurance. They're making billions out of this. We want to keep that, but, but don't worry, kind of, Mr. you know, uh, like crash, you have low, low corporation tax. It does nothing for them. 85% of all businesses in Ireland are non-export led. So uh, a low corporation tax does nothing for them. It, it, what helps them is higher wages and low costs in rent and in insurance. But that means then taking on kind of foreign capital. So this is the, these are the arguments that, th this is how I would see it, which is sometimes kind of very difficult and very kind of frustrating for me because I'm trying to kind of get across because it really is a case of, you know, it's like that idiot who you ask for kind of directions and, and he says, but, well, I wouldn't start from here. I'm kind of like that, <laughs> which, which makes it kind of very, very difficult to explain why you wouldn't start from here. Um, but that's how mad it is. He is he's protecting around 30,000 people who work in um, accountancy and in law and, 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 and in the REITs as well. That's what Pascal is protecting. Those fuckers, and that's it. But because there's a wider class element here, um, that then ties into the way that class thinks and what they will do to protect its own way, which and that brings in your Mary Daly's and your own Keegan's and your Connor Skeen's. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Michelle, but before I do, I'm gonna remind Connor of uh, an incident we had outside of the Lord Edward Fitzgerald pub where a guy was walking by and said, uh, "Sorry, could you point me to where the Viking Quarter is and ask Connor it of all people?" And he said, "It used to be over fucking there." <laughs> and then the Irish government in the 1980s went on this rant, and the poor German guy was holding a map going, 
oh shit <laughs> it was great crack it lasted about five minutes and i was just going oh he asked the wrong person michelle you wanted well, in on this yeah get a good glimpse a glimpse of the proper history the way history should be told anyway he's talking to god around it anyway yeah it was just on that piece around the crash actually because there is a piece in the sunday times on that um, and just to kind of give some figures to some people, because he touched on, obviously, the rent uh, costs and the insurance costs. The insurance costs rose by 300% last year. And the rent went up 39,500 in one center in, in one year. So, like, that's the kind of figures they're dealing with. And then, obviously, then they're trying to kind of recoup those costs. But interesting enough, there's a piece around how uh, Roderick Gorman has come out and said, you know, that's disgraceful, blame the individual uh, you know provider that you know how like why would you do that but like obviously you can clearly see that it's the insurance companies and the the rental market that is the problem here but interesting enough they were talking about how you know like oh yeah the crashes have been um being able to avail of the temporary wage subsidy scheme but also the government were able to support them with 50 percent of the operation costs which is really interesting because that's something that's been called for for so long that the government would actually uh put in state funding into crashes because it costs so much and i think um if, if we can see this happening now during the crisis hopefully this will be one of the things that will stick around they continue to fund uh, early years but i we all know um and how quickly they are to strip away these kind of things that actually might be good solutions um was it wasn't there kind of a, a, a kind of at the very start of the the pandemic people were saying oh god they're they're doing socialism what is it like you know it's it, like obviously it's not but like these elements where they think oh god we can't Jesus, we couldn't I simply have something like that might plant ideas and um, for them to pretend to ask them more what yeah i gotta go before I go back to you, Bridget, or maybe you want to jump in on this, I'm going to ask an open question to everyone, right? Because I, I was reading people's analysis of the G7 meeting and how it would work in Ireland. And, and I think it would be interesting if anybody here knows how that new plan for the 15% would work. Maybe, Connor, you would. But the, the thing that I read was that if a company, say Google, for instance, paid 5% corporation tax effectively here, they'd have to pay 10% on, I presume it's on what they're trading you know the the revenue they they make in germany when they go back to their home country so they can deduct the 5% from 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 so, so does it effectively mean that a company that trades all across europe say google or amazon or whatever that they they can just deduct what they're uh, making from ireland or any other tax haven yeah, I mean, um, like it speaks to the Apple, uh, uh, the, the Apple kind of tax case where Apple booked mainly its kind of European kind of sales in Ireland as if, by treating them as if they were Irish sales, but, uh, uh, but not subject to Irish, like Irish, uh, like Irish kind of taxation because it's a foreign company and there's other kind of, you know, various kind of rules there as well but they know how much of that profit comes from sales in germany and, and then like you know how much there so then they would be then subject then to that so i mean this will take years just to work out all of the nuances there um like the thing for ireland is that ireland has this quirk in its law which goes back to the 1920s where you have two legal entities every company has two has two has a potential for two legal kind of entities one is it's a legal entity. It's an Irish company for, for you know, you know, as being kind of resident here. Yeah. But that same company, if its management is based in, in another country, can be registered as a foreign company for tax purposes. So what you do is that you hire three or four people in, in like Bermuda, 
and they're your management team. And then suddenly this Irish company becomes a foreign company for tax purposes. This isn't new. This goes back to I think in the 1920s, it's been exploited. Like, like, like Ireland's been a tax haven for a long time. It, it used to be just for British capital. Now it's for transnational kind of uh, like, uh, like capital. So like these quirks, would they'd need to be kind of closed down as well for a genuine kind of uh, tax kind of justice kind of system. But yeah, so like um, the tax kind of arbitrage where you, um, where you work out how the book sales that that would kind of go the, the i need to kind of delve into more the detail as to whether the tax and write off the um uh the, the the profit and base erosion where you charge yourself for services as a tax kind of deductible uh like process whether that would be kind of affected or not you know but no i mean but like it is still kind of it, it's still kind of big news um it's the fact that all kind of G7 have said hey, this is happening. And and like um, when it goes to the G20, uh, the EU will be there as a separate block itself speaking on behalf of the EU. So like Ireland is like the world is, is, is like basically saying to Ireland on this aspect, um, you need to shift. But it's still it's still a shitty deal in that it's all geared towards increasing tax revenue in European countries. They're not doing this reform in terms of, like it's only fucking European kind of profits. Mm. It won't be for profits that are made in Africa or in, you know, and then booked here as well. They'll still be able to kind of do that. So, so this is really, there's a real kind of colonial, there's a very strong kind of colonial element to this deal as well you know all right okay cheers and um, i'm gonna go to you bridget next um you've been reading some of the papers as well you might have a story or two you want to raise i do i do i was reading the the sunday independent and uh there's a there's a, a little a little piece on page five about uh religious orders stall over joining redress scheme for mother and baby homes and uh i think this is a i mean i mean anything to do with the mother and baby homes i would think hits hits harder than most stories um for for most of us i mean you know the kind of the 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 kind of tentacles of the the church you know it's they're 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 not gone and and it's a it's in it's particularly in in regards to you know it's just such a story of like a lack of humanity and that that i think a lot of people it resonates with a lot of people and to see that they're to see that they're they're not even they're not even open to talks about it about redress mm. um and on top of that um there's there you know Roger Gorman in in this piece is, is is talking about how um the government is likely to you know reject um reject the commission's controversial uh, recommendation to it or oh no never mind I'm <laughs> sorry um I read that wrong this morning. I was there like, geez, they're going to reject the recommendation to 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 give uh, redress. But no, the commission, I mean, it's uh, I think it's 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 prescient to see just the real the real problems with um, the commission to begin with. The idea that they didn't take victims testimonies into account. 
the the idea that their their recommendation was to not give redress to people after women after uh, who who were in institutions after 1974 because oh the 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 unmarried mothers uh, benefit was there so they actually deserve nothing um despite the fact that they're still in an institution that's abusing them um it's 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 especially especially for this area you see for for my constituency you see um the likes of uh you know the national maternity hospital is is coming up and questions about whether or not um the catholic church is going to have anything to do with that catholic church says it's not but you know if they were really gifting the land over for the if if, if it was a true gift to the people of ireland um you know if the if the sisters of charity or if the sisters of charity were truly giving us the land you know they wouldn't be doing it through you know the saint vincent's trust you know this shadowy trust that they've they've made um they would give it as a gift straight to us not putting it in a trust it's 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 pressured because they the sisters of charity have also run the saint mary's telford you know school school for the blind and home for the blind and um for it's a it's a home for women with disabilities uh like near like blindness or partial blindness and it's oh god it's that that's still ongoing because they decided to close its doors um but we're talking about like women who've been there for 60 years you know they they you know they went in there at 12 and now and they've been there for 60 years and it was it was made it was made specifically to allow them to live independently relatively independently while still giving them you know the support that they'll need um it gave them a community it gave them you know it gave you know there's a community there there's friends there it's it's it caters specifically to their needs and now the sisters of charity have decided they're going to close it which means that a lot of these women who who consider this place home now have a big question mark over what is going to happen to them in the future whether or not they can keep their guide dogs whether or not um they'll be able to live independently or if they'll be put in some sort of like nursing home facility um it's it's the the mother and baby home stuff is still very much in in i think the forefront of a lot of people's minds and and the commission i mean i think i think ultimately we we need to have a new commission <laughs> we need to i you know we need to redo the commission uh because this commission report is uh there's there's a lot of holes in it and uh yeah that's it's 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 gonna be you know yeah. an interesting thing you know yeah. michelle you want in on this yeah we definitely can't stand over that just when you're talking about the national maternity hospital there and everything there's actually a story here in the sunday times that um kind of ties back to that but also around their discussions around the emergency powers so there's a story here around the matter hospital a hospital uses emergency laws to build new wing so the matter hospital have built a six-story wing without planning permission under the guise of the emergency covid19 legislation like i i just read that sentence and i was like sorry what is going on here but it gets worse so this is a um, this particular expansion has already been opposed by locals before on Tashka, um, but this in using this legislation, there's no way that you can object to, to the building of it. So this is another uh, use of these powers that I hadn't been familiar with. People were that were, they were using. So yeah, essentially, um, 
the wing is going to be, you know, uh, facing into a lot of Georgian houses. Um, it actually part of the building of the Matra Hospital involved demolishing some Georgian houses. And there was huge opposition from Antarctica and Arts Council at the time. But this time they can do whatever they want because it's in the strategy of the for the, the state's response to the pandemic that they can do this. Um, and it, they just completely uh, go above planning laws, above any sort of communi community uh, in consultation and against uh, any kind of like objections whatsoever. I just thought it was a really bizarre short story now and I don't know why it's not probably spoken about a little bit more, but that that is quite shocking to see the power has been used in that way as well, particularly when you're looking at it as for the 2021 strategy, where we also have a vaccination program. They're using it under the guise of like, you know, we need to expand it because we need more units in case we have another pandemic. But at the same time, we're we're quite well in our way now into the, the vaccination program. So we can't really see a surge where you'd need an, another hundred beds. And this is why they're building this wing. Um, without any planning permission or any any kind of um means to object against it um, and also just on the same page while, while i'm chatting as well there's a couple of other stories um one on trebling the size of a cemetery could earn developers 60 million so this is another story about how this housing previous housing developer has decided actually there's no, more money uh, from you when you're dead um so not only are they going to screw us when we're alive they're going to screw us in our death as well. So what's happening here is basically they're expanding this burial cemetery. Um, there has been objections um, around around emissions. Apparently, there's a, there was lead mining in the area, and they don't want there to be excavations. There's a very a lot of lot of environmental concerns. Um, but yeah, so basically, you're looking at uh, plots in this place for about. Uh, nearly close to nine grand if you get a good location um, and uh, there's also kind of quotes as well how uh, in Dean's Grange you're nearly looking at a cost of 16 grand for a plot um, so look as I said like there's the can't they, 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 this developer has moved from house building because literally he has said that the cemetery business has proven more lucrative and home building so if this is what we're going to see we're going to see all of these lovely housing developers expand their portfolios into um like plots and cemeteries but also we're seeing them expanding their business into sustainable en energy infrastructure and pretty much anything they can get their hands on at this point is a fair game for them as long as they're making money um they are willing to screw you in life and death um but then another story beside that not to, to be so dramatic but there's another story then beside that as well uh, the minister to help councils catch up on social housing. Ah, good old Dara is going to save the day. So what he is proposing in this article is to refund councils for their acquisition costs um, when they buy public land to build, so, or when they buy land to, to, or to build on uh, for social, social housing. This is really interesting. So he really wants councils right now to, to really buy it, to, to, to gather that land acquisition so that they can get more spaces for social housing. But obviously at the same time, we're selling off public land in certain areas or trying to, but it's, strangely enough, this article doesn't actually mention anything about the fact that, what, what, why are we gathering up this land right now? It's nothing to do with the fact that the Land Development Agency bill is going through the doll, is it? And the fact that you're actually then going to remove the powers of, uh, for decision-making on homes away from the councils. And never mind the chronic underfunding that you've had uh, given to councils for years now, the fact that they probably wouldn't be able to provide the housing that you so want them to do. Fund the councils, keep the powers of the, the uh, housing decision-making in the councils, uh, and yeah, then we'll welcome this. But at the moment, what I'm saying is, yeah, line up all the land for us now, gather it all up for us now, and then we'll get the Land Development Agency in, and we'll sort it out and make sure that that all goes into 
very problematic housing developments where it's all you know home ownership and uh, actually probably no, not very much social housing at all so there you go oh god and um, connor you want in on that one yeah just just like two kind of small well uh, small stories just one is um like like leo has an op-ed in the sendo where um is this no sorry it's the it's, it's the business post where um, he says that um, there'd be no there'd be no taxes there'd be no kind of there'd be no new income tax raises you know for the post COVID uh, the post COVID kind of recovery you know so like he he, he he's he's calling on people to no yeah it's it's a sin though he he's calling on people to just get out there and spend and he's really kind of latched on uh it is figured that uh, that savings have increased by 12 billion in the last year. So people, so it's, there's 12 billion more in like savings in like bank accounts. So to deconstruct just what he's saying there, like in the same week where you have the first global agreement on tax in 100 years, because every economy in in Europe is going, we need to pay for the mess that's just happened. So we need to raise taxes. Ireland is saying, no, we can do this by not raising kind of income tax. But if you don't raise kind of income tax, um, then you need to raise it on capital. And Ireland won't do that either because that's what that, it, it, like the whole kind of corporation tax thing is all about. That leaves one other element, which is stealth taxes, you, yeah, VATs, um, property tax, other forms of like taxation, and by outsourcing and like privatizing services more and more. So like he is going against the entire logic of reality at this moment in what he's saying, um, because they do not want like, to raise income taxes, but that will be paid for in other ways. So I think, think the next year would be quite interesting because um, they seem to be kind of, they're saying at one level, we're not going down the austerity route, but what they're, how they're going to pay for it is by increasing the cost of living, really, you know, by eating into kind of disposable income. In terms of, of savings, international studies show that when people get, get what they perceive to be a windfall, they don't buy goods with it, they pay off debt. So that's probably what we'll see happen here as well. So, so like he has to, they have to grasp this nettle and, st and start looking at raising kind of income tax. Um, Ireland has two levels or two rates. It should be three. And also looking at tax on capital as well. And then tax on wealth, which means um, measuring wealth, which we don't do in Ireland. They've done it in France since since 1789 because of the old French Revolution is <laughs> the first thing they did. And we, and we don't do it here, you know? And then finally, just the last one, just to end on a, on a higher note, maybe. Um, I looked through the a Business Post's culture page and I just laughed because it's two main things in it is, it's an interview with Noel Gallagher and their best album of the, you know, of the week is a, it's the greatest hit, hits from the crowded house. I think we get a sense of, of the readership <laughs> of this in though. Who the fuck is buying 
Noel Gallagher albums and still listening to fucking Crowded House. Like, you know, I mean, you know, this is our demographic here, right? In their heads, they are masses of the universe walked around, wolves of Wall Street, and are sitting at home. They're listening to fucking Crowded House CDs. They make me laugh so much, that class. They make me laugh so much. Oh, brilliant. Right, well, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to read out a couple of um, stories that I looked at because I wanted to do the um, front page of the business post. So I'm going to fly through a couple of stories and then I'll come to Michelle because she's another story. But broadband rollout target slashed as contractor admits delays. Now, when you read into the story, you just see how farcical the the delays are. Just 4,000 homes have been reached in the first half of this year out of a 21-21 target of 115,000. Now, you might all remember the whole scandal around the uh, the the contracting of the broadband rollout, um, where I think it was Aircom or, or ESB, it was one or the other, said, we can do it for a fraction of the cost. And they said, no, we're going with the expensive guys because they're, they're clearly, because they charge more, they know what they're doing. But obviously not. Um, they've now revised their targets this year to 50,000 to 60,000. Connie, you want it in on that quickly? Yeah, um, that's a bit like your example of the wastewater plant down in in, in, in like Green's End. They gave the contract to a company that had never built broadband before in its life, had no experience of it, had none kind of whatsoever. That had been set up purely to get that contract and its whole business model, because this came true in the public accounts committee, its entire business model was to outsource and to piggyback on the back of Aircom. So to give this multi-billion euro kind of contract to a company that has never laid a single meter of broadband wire in its fucking life. And now they're saying, oh shit, they fucked up. <laughs> Who what what the what happened here? They those this company that doesn't know what it's doing has been proven to show that it doesn't know what it's doing this is a fucking disgrace like they knew exactly what was going on yeah um they I, give it to someone who doesn't know what who actually says we don't know what to do here we will but we'll outsource it yeah it's always a middleman always a middleman someone's always Irish capitalism it, but, man yeah um so that, that's one of the stories another one is revenue to get new powers to collect data on vacant homes and i'm not even going to get into that because that's not the important part but you might you guys might have a comment on this bit um on page 10 then and related to that is councils collected less than 1% of vacant site levies. So of all the vacant sites in the country, only one uh, county council managed to collect any money whatsoever. And it was Sligo County Councils uh, who managed to get 21,000 euros for one vacant site, one single site in the entire country when there were, uh, now the councils are owed over 21 million. So we, we collect the 21,000, but there's 21 million owed. And it's a bit like the water charges stuff as well, going back pre-Irish water. 50% of companies just never bothered their arse paying their bills, just didn't bother. And uh, in 2015, Irish water actually wrote off 200 million of the debt that was owed to them. And that will be the same thing with this. Is they just eventually write off the debt and, and nothing will, will happen in relation to it. Another story I wanted to cover very, very quickly was mapping out the future of industrial relations in Ireland, which is Danny McCoy's little um, comment, who's the uh, Danny McCoy, for people, for listeners who, who wouldn't be familiar with him, is the chief executive of IBEC. 
um, the, the business employers group. Um, but you can see here, because there's a, a new European directive on minimum wages, he's very concerned that it's going to change the voluntarist nature of, of, of trade unionism in Ireland, which, according to him, has served us really well over the past. We have the second lowest wages as a proportion of GDP, of the economy, in the entire developed world. I think it's Turkmenistan is below us. Um, I, 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 when you look at the chart of it, it's... it's so we're not the worst then? No, we're second. Oh, okay. So we've a, a bit to go. So we're but, not the worst anyway. We're not the worst, but we okay. do have the second highest... We're, we're second on a lot of charts here. Second highest prevalence of low pay, second highest prevalence of underemployment in the EU. All of these charts where we're really, really low pay, bad, precarious employment, and IBEC are out presenting it as in the voluntarist nature of collective bargaining has served us quite well. The, just for, for listeners who don't know, and we'll get into it, might do a special about this one, Connor, actually, but the... Um, uh, European average of collective bargaining coverage is over 70%. In Ireland, it's 30%. So workers in Ireland, this is the reason they're on low pay and shit contracts of employment. This new directive is going to force countries that don't have collective bargaining or have, um, you know, as, as close to 70% as possible. They're trying to get them to bring in measures that, that would force the Irish government to do, the, do this. And of course, Leo Varadkar has written to the EU to say, we'd prefer if this was a recommendation rather than a directive. Could you just like recommend what we should do rather than actually enforce us to do this stuff? But you can see again, it's Irish capital out there trying to protect itself and saying, we have a great system at the moment. Don't let the EU meddle with this because it's working out so well for everyone, including employees, which is obviously a nonsense. I was going to raise another article, but I think Michelle wanted to raise it anyway. So I'm going to go to her because it's in her paper. She read this one. I just saw a screenshot of some of the stuff. Oh, so. yeah. The Sunday Times in the comment section can lead to some gems uh, for discussion. And this this weekend didn't uh, disappoint. So um, our right wing, David Quinn, um, was away this weekend. So you have a replacement in called Barry, Mer or Barry Walsh who is a former policy advisor at the Department of the Taoiseach, just to kind of set the context. And um, Barry goes on to say how um, the own Murphy resigning um, shows that there's a dysfunction in the doll. And he says, we, you know, we need to save centrist politics um, so that talent like own Murphy don't get lost in the fray. Um, and yeah, so basically it's a whole like boo-hoo piece um, you know, these jobs for life, life aren't jobs for life and these well-paid jobs. What are we going to do? All the centrist politicians are going to leave if we don't change the democratic structure um, to keep them in there. Um, so, yeah, so, so essentially he, he goes on to mention how Owen Murphy is so talented, so talented at, at facilitating a housing crisis, maybe if that's what you call talent then I don't know what the standard is there. But he goes on about how to say the resignation of Owen Murphy is a reward for the hard left. Um, and, you know, that, you know, young, pe young people like Owen Murphy. And then randomly throws in Lucinda Creighton, who is uh, who linked to Renewa, by the way, um, says, you know, young people like them are falling through the cracks um, of centrist politics. It's like, Jesus Christ. Like, and then he tries to make like a weak point about like more women in the doll. And um, if more women looks like you send a Cretan, we don't want more <laughs> those kind of women. Like, it's just bizarre. This whole piece is so bizarre. But yeah, anyway, but then he basically tries to make a point around, we need to change the democratic processes in order to save centrist uh centrist politicians from resigning i'm like oh my god what, what are you suggesting right now is this some sort of like you know uh like let's just have a dictator a fascist dictatorship so we can keep all the centrist politicians in or whatever but yeah basically he says 
there will be continued hollowing out of the leadership ranks of moderate centrist politics unless we change how the democratic system operates. Um, and basically it says that the, the hard left are winning the, the more that these resign. And I, I don't know if, if they reckon, if, if the right reckon, uh, reckon that this de uh, democracy is um, failing centrist politics, um, then I suppose I could probably get, a, get behind that. But like, it's just, it's such a bizarre piece. Um, yeah, Bridget, so that's a big kind of thumbs up from the Synod there for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, the, this is the policy advisor for the tea shop. Like, a previous policy advisor is saying, do you know what? Get rid of that democracy now. It's it's a bit of a. It's not really helping our our gang. Um, do you know? Do you know? Leave it off there. It, it's an article that I read in depth, actually, because I found it very funny. And when I find things funny, I, I, I tend to get really deep into the meaning of what's behind some of the comments. One of the things he talks about is the multi-seat, single transferable vote system that we have in, in Ireland and a, a big comparison with the UK and the United States and this two-party system, you know, a left and a right again. But he, he calls it, our, our system, he calls it an insane electoral system. Uh, because only Ireland and Malta use it. Now, there are other states within countries. I know Tasmania uses it and, and a number of others, right? But where do you go, where, where does it, and I love these type of analysis. He says, our system has resulted in only 23% of our TDs being female. Whereas the other system in the UK has a 34% and he's putting it down to the single transferable vote. And it goes back to the comments we were taught, had earlier on in relation to childcare and other facilities for, for, for women to enter into politics. They're, they're, they're just unable to get in because of the structures outside of the parliament, outside of the electoral system. He can't see beyond this. And he's made that, that, that connection. And it's actually, it's a bit sickening to see that connection that he's saying that the single transferable vote system is leading to less women in politics. You know, talk about clutching at straws to build an argument for yourself. And, and, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't give a shit how many women are in politics. All he wants is, uh, or, or maybe I'm wrong, and maybe he will be voting for Bridget in the, the upcoming uh, by-election. I could be completely wrong. Uh, but I don't know, Bridget, if you want to come in on the scene as you're replacing one of our most talented TDs of all time, um, who hasn't even reached the age of 40. Uh, I, I mean, he actually says some of this stuff in it. It's not, it's, it's not hyperbole what we're saying here. He said it's rewarding for hard left populism that this guy has, has left. And the, the days of a job for life in politics are over, he mentions, right? Um, and now we're looking at maximum terms of 15 years. And you're like, is he, is he saying this is a bad thing? And he, he actually puts it in to say, that might not be a bad thing. But it, it, the whole thing, one of, the, one of the comments you made, and you, you mentioned it earlier, Bridget, um, is the scrutiny of, of, of Gagan's home in the run-up to this by-election. You know, people knowing about how much he paid for his house is driving people out of politics. And I go, do you remember the two women who went overseas to get a boob job done? And their actual addresses were published all over the fucking newspapers. He didn't come out with a statement saying this is disgraceful that, that these people, they're not in the public arena, but they got their addresses published and people were slagging them off and having a go at them. But they were working class people. He's trying to protect his class of people, the likes of James Gagan, who can go in and put in legislation that benefits him, like, as Connor mentioned, only having a two-rate tax system because this guy is clearly on a lot more than that. I don't know. I'm going to leave Bridget with the last word on this week's episode. Oh, Jesus. I mean, look, um, I do think that Owen Murphy's resignation is a reward. Uh, it really is. <laughs> I mean, um, uh, like, the, uh, yeah, it's, 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 this kind of, this kind of, like, commentary is, is, it becomes, like, very, I mean, obviously, it's, 
this is coming from a man who uh, hasn't worked in precarious work for, for a long time. I could tell you right now that the idea of 15 years being like, being like, oh God, becoming a TD is so precarious. They could only have a career of 15 years. When you're looking at people, like people of my generation being there, like, Jesus, if I could get a job for, for a year, that'd be great. You know, if I could stay in a, in like, oh God, that would sort out a lot of problems for me. If I would be able to like, my contract be extended by a year, that would really, oh Lord, that would take a, take a lot of pressure off me. Like it's, it's, it's a complete, I mean, it just goes to show how, you know, a lot of the media, a lot of politicians are just completely out of touch about the reality of life, like and the reality of what it's like to be, you know, kind of a relatively young person in Ireland. Like it's 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 bizarre and the idea of like the 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 idea of like mourning the loss of Owen Murphy, you know, after after <laughs> after he's brought in co-living after he essentially like i mean i'm of the opinion that the housing crisis was coming for a long time even before owen murphy but he really accelerated the process uh and the idea that like we should be mourning the loss of people who've done from from the from the public you know sphere uh of people who really made life untenable for untenable for people of my generation people of, of like anyone who's working class, anyone who's a migrant, anybody who's not their ideal demographic, their lives have been made quite a bit harder. And look, yeah. I, I mean, what can you say to that? Yeah, not much more. No. <laughs> well, look, I'll I, I leave it. That, that's uh, that's great, Bridget. And look, best of luck uh, to you in the by-election whenever it's... Thank you. Whenever the date happens. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, uh, hopefully, there'll be... A, a bit of left transfers going on in this one as well, if there are many left candidates. I'm not actually not too sure of the f- entire list, but, um, well, look, this has been the week at work. We've we've covered a lot of stories, and this has been one of our longest episodes, so thanks for um, sticking with us. Uh, I want to thank my co-host, Michelle, for, 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 for backing me up on all of this stuff, and I want to thank Connor McCabe and Bridget Purcell. Uh, we're part of Left Block, which is an, um, an online... A political education project and an alternative media project so if you want to support us you can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash left block I have to try and remember what it was there for a second uh, thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you again soon